Hey, everybody. Today on the show, Jason Bay, Jay Bay, a sales trainer, a teacher extraordinaire. What'd you think, Maurice? Lots of gold there, huh? Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that I really had to think about because I, I was so busy writing down notes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, and yeah. Taking notes and really try to try to remember it all. Um, yeah, if you're at all remotely working in sales or have to lead salespeople or, you know, are somewhere in that environment, in that ecosystem, this is the show for you. <laughs> this is the oh, episode, yeah. right? Um, and I think it's the, the second one that we have of that, of that kind where, um, as a salesperson, get something to write, um, sit straight, have something to drink, and take notes because it's super interesting what Jason had to say. Yeah, and I just, I just love the heart behind it too, right? Yeah, full of energy, yeah. full of energy with it. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. Um, stay tuned, watch it, or listen to it. It's super nice. All right, here we go. Because really, what could go wrong once you press record, right? Exactly, <laughs> what could go wrong? It's all going to be very perfect. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Crazy People Doing a Podcast, uh, the Crazy People Podcast. I'm Russ. Maurice is strangely absent for the moment, but in the hot seat today, friend of the podcast, Jason Bay. Welcome, Jason. How you doing, man? Happy to be here. We've uh, we've known each other for a little while now, so it's it's uh, good to reconnect. We caught up a little bit prior to the recording, so uh, I'm happy to be here, man. No, it's it's, it's great to have you, man. Um, do me a favor. Give the audience maybe 30 seconds of who's Jay Bay? What's going on with you? Yeah, so I run a company called Outbound Squad. So the the problem that we help with is, you know, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a, a bad cold email or had someone, you know, call your cell phone relentlessly and leave weird voicemails or connect and pitch with you on LinkedIn, we sort of help with that part of it. So how do we as a either a you know sales rep selling business to business, my software, my services, or maybe I'm a business owner doing a little bit of outbound, how do we do this in a way that's, you know, feels a little bit better on the soul, a little bit more customer centric, um, is in a way that's much more effective and speaking to what my prospects care about versus pitching my solution. Uh, we help with that piece of the equation. And then the other piece of the equation is, hey, when I do get someone on a Zoom call and we're having that, you know, quote unquote sales conversation, mm -hmm. how do I do this in a way um, where instead of me just coming in and talking all about what we do, how do I figure out a little bit more about what the other person cares about? Who else on their team might care about it? Uh, what impact they're trying to make, what problem you're trying to solve, and really run a sales process that feels yeah. less salesy. That's really the the two kind of big areas that I play in. That's that's cool. It's salespeople are humans. You mean they're not sales machines? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, Crazy. you know that whole expression, uh, the yeah. sales hat. I'm like, yeah. you don't need to put any hat on. You're just a person talking yeah. to another person. You should really try to. Yeah, I think there's a lost art to just connecting with people, mm -hmm. just being able to do what we did before this, just talk about like what's going on in the other person's life or in this case, their business or whatever, and just have a connection. Yeah, Genuine human connection is what people really, really want. And if you're having to sell virtually for the first time, you know, post COVID, that's, mm -hmm. that's another skill that you have yeah. to learn how to connect with people through a, through a computer screen, you know, which, which I'm happy to talk about, but that's, uh, 
Yeah, I think finding genuine connection, that's really what sales is all about. How do I yeah. get this as quickly as possible to the point where we're just having a candid conversation? That may turn into a sale, may not, but how do we just get kind of past the corporate speak and the formality yeah. and all that kind of weird stuff? Yeah, no, that's that's cool. So, But you didn't just come up with this like today, right? There's an origin story yeah. of how you how you came came to this yeah. conclusion and and this this place where 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 does Jason Bay originate? What's the origin story? Yeah, so I was just to paint the picture because I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. I was very shy as a kid, so I remember even some of my earliest memories, fourth, fifth grade, probably fifth grade. I was playing soccer. I scored a goal, mm-hmm. and everyone in the stands is clapping. My parents told me this. I don't even remember it. Yeah. I, as soon as I figured out that everyone was clapping for me and they were like paying attention to me, I was so mortified that the coach had to put me on the bench because I just couldn't play at that point. And I was just so shy, you know, and that really took me through middle school and high school where you probably would never catch me starting a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. that I didn't know. That felt very scary to me. And I felt like my friends and all of these other people had this superpower that I just did not have. Yeah. So the way that I sort of got over that, my very first job in college, well, prior to college, I stacked wood in a cart at a mill for 60 hours a week. Ooh. That really sucked. And I said, you know, I never want to do this again. So my good, freshman good year- Good for bodybuilding, not uh, not good for skill building. Oh, it was so hard on, on my body. And I was that's probably the best shape I've ever been in my entire life. And every you know 10-hour day was just like, oh, man, it's crazy. Um, so what I ended up doing, though, is my first sales job was as a freshman- in the spring yeah. and summer, I would go door to door selling house painting services. So I worked for a company where they teach you essentially how to run a house painting franchise. So I never did any of the painting. I went door to door, had my friends help me. I would pay them, go door to door. We'd get leads. We'd do estimates. That's where I got my first formal sales training. And then from there, what I would do is you know hire painters and all that kind of stuff. And it, it ended up working out really well for me. I mean, it made like 30 grand almost over the summer wow. um, for school. So at that point, I was like, I love sales, right? This is awesome. Um, so that was in 2008. I was a sales manager for them for a little while. Then I became a marketing director for them. And then I sort of left on my own. So I'm happy to dig into more detail uh, where wherever you want. But that's how I got into sales was getting doors slammed in my face, <laughs> 19 year old with braces, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, the, the shy kid suddenly taking the job, going door to door. That's like a, you know, a smoker quitting cold Turkey, right? You, you're quitting shyness cold Turkey, but, but $30,000 to be fair is pretty good incentive to, <laughs> to quit being yeah. shy and figure out something else. Right. Well, it was a 100% commission job too. So I'd never done that before. And I just really thought that that was really appealing. And to be fair, the way that I was recruited, I I have to say they weren't totally transparent that I would be going door to door as much as I did. They kind of made it sound like you start to do this and then you put ads in the newspaper and then people call you. And that's kind of not what the experience was like. The lesson I learned from that experience is there's always another door to knock on. So no matter how the experience goes in the moment, you can make all of this stuff up in your head around how angry this person's going to be and you know, I'd interrupt people rest like during their dinner, you know, um, there was all kinds of stuff like that, that that would happen. And you start to play all of these games in your head around this stuff. And no matter what happens, there's always another door. So, so Jason back up for a half a second, um, and, and tell us about the, 
you know, that how did, how did they recruit you to this job going door to door for a shy, a shy kid who never did this before? Yeah. So I was sitting, I originally went to college to learn about forensic science. So I wanted to become a forensic scientist because I watched a lot of CSI, right? And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. That's <laughs> a shy could... kid career. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you could analyze evidence every now and then you get to bust down a door, you get to arrest someone, you know, and be the, be the superhero. Well, it turns out that's like multiple people's jobs in one, right? And in Oregon, where I grew up, there was... I think they had two or three forensic scientists in the entire state. So I was thinking, wow. And I don't want to sit in a lab all day. And they don't even let you know what you're like, what case you're working on. Cause they don't want you to have any bias. Right. So I was sitting in a law enforcement class. It was like law enforcement 201 or something like that. And at the very beginning, he became one of my best friends, a guy named Barry. He uh, became one of my best friends and he was my first sales manager. Mm -hmm. He mentioned this opportunity to run a business over the summer and make some money for school. And it was, the pitch was, you know, run a business, get an internship, make $10,000 over the summer. And the summer prior, when I was stacking wood on a card, as I had mentioned, I made about five, five grand, maybe six grand after taxes. And that was like busting my ass for 60 hours a week, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that sounded really appealing to me. So I immediately signed up. I got recruited and the first thing I did was I went and bought a book on like Little Red Book of Selling by Jeffrey Gittimer to learn what sales was because I didn't really know what that was. And then I bought a house painting for Dummies book because I didn't know anything about house painting or construction or you know or what siding and trim and eaves were. I didn't I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> this has got to be the best first sales call ever. Can we paint your eaves? We don't have eaves. What? Where are they? What's going on over here? Can we? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's all siding. Can we paint your? No, you can't. Can what? Slam, right? So, so the yeah. the shy kid, the forensic scientist, door slams in your face. But after the summer, you, as you had said, there's always another door that's going to open, right? There's always yeah. another, another door you can you can knock on. So how do yeah. you how do you get from I've learned some things to now where you are today? Was it all success all up and to the right? Well. To be totally candid, the sales part came pretty naturally to mm -hmm. me. So I was pretty good at sales right from the get-go. Like my manager, the way that you were supposed to get trained was they go do three estimates with you. They take two hours a piece. So they teach you how to build rapport with people, how to do the whole shebang. You don't just calculate what it's going to cost and leave a bid on the doorstep. There's an actual sales process, mm -hmm. right? Um, he goes like, oh, for five with me the first day. <laughs> so this is like a Saturday goose egg. And you're supposed to book about a quarter of them on the spot. And your mm -hmm. manager is supposed to come out and show you like how to be awesome at sales, right? Yeah. But the next day, I I don't remember thinking, oh, God, what did I get myself into? I remember thinking, I would have done things a lot different than he, than he did. Like, I can't wait to take the reins on this. So the next day, the first thing I ever sell is like restaining someone's deck for 1900 bucks. And I remember I called up my manager and I was like, I know they're supposed to sign a contract, but which one is that? I didn't even know where they were supposed to sign or how they pay or anything like that. Right. Um, so it ended up going really well, but where I, where I really struggled was the next year I became a sales manager. Mm -hmm. Part of that is recruiting. So you got to be good at giving those class announcements and doing a one-to-one -one kind of information session and interviewing people, which is a type of sales. And then the thing that I really struggled with was how to skill transfer. You know, how do I take what I know how to do really good and teach someone else how to do it? The biggest lesson I learned is that 
your biggest strengths will be your team's biggest weaknesses because you don't think about your strengths. These are things that you do intuitively. So for me, that was really hard. So that took a year for me to learn how to be a good sales manager and how to coach and lead and do all that kind of stuff. And then the couple of years after that, uh, I was a sales manager, finished you know top 10 in the country. And then where I really learned how to do what I do now around presenting and speaking and doing that kind of thing was as a sales manager, you would have to get up in front and you would pick, teach a topic. So I might be teaching a topic on objection handling. So when a homeowner says, we want to wait, we can't afford it. Not right now. I'm going to hire the other contractor. How do you handle that? So you got to get up and actually do a workshop style thing. And you know, I'm like 19, 20 years old. So I had to be taught how to do that, how to learn that. And then when I got promoted in that company, I moved down to their corporate office and I actually became a, a marketing director slash corporate sales trainer. So I would travel all around the country running trainings for all these college kids, teaching people how sales works. And that's where I really refined the skill of like presenting and engaging people and running workshops and like teaching and the role plays and all the stuff I've, I've done for, you know, now, I mean, that was 2009 when I started doing that. So it's, you know, I've been presenting or speaking in one form or another for 13, 14 years at this point, you know, and I really about six years ago honed in on, you know, B2B, mostly software, about a third of my clients sell professional services like recruiting or other kinds of professional services. And um, that's where I've really kind of refined into like very specific skill sets that I teach. But um, for me, what I've always really loved doing is seeing the transformation. When you can get someone who hasn't received a lot of sales training that mostly just does it, like think of how we cook. Usually mm -hmm. most of the time we aren't taught how to cook. You just kind of start doing it and you develop all these habits or you see some stuff. And then when someone actually shows you like proper knife skills, like how to even hold a knife, mm -hmm. you know, probably when you're cutting stuff, it's like mind blown, right? Or, hey, when you cook any kind of meat, don't put it onto a cold pan, get the pan sizzling and you want to sear the crust. When someone teaches you that for the first time and you've been doing it completely differently your whole life, it just like your mind just gets blown a little bit. I love doing that where someone's been doing something and away for a certain amount of time. And most companies don't really train their reps that well. And you get to come in and give them something that's immediately valuable. That makes them feel better about their job, makes them perform better. All of that kind of stuff I find really rewarding now. Oh, that's, that's, that's very cool. And that's uh, our experience working together, you know, now a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. I think that was, that was some of the stuff that, that I, I, I think I saw in, in your style um, that I said, this, this guy's like different from all the quote unquote experts that are out there. Cause wow. he actually really, he cares about this stuff. He gets empowered and enlivened and, you know, gets jazzed yeah. by seeing people learn and grow, which was, which was very cool. Yeah. I, uh, I think that one of the biggest things that I try to do is I learn a lot from the reps that I work with. So one of the very first things that I say, and I think this is a pro tip for anyone that does any kind of outside help where you get hired by a company and come work with people at their company, is I just say, I said this to your group, I was like, hey, I just want to let you guys know I've I've never like sold the types of services that you sell, like nearshoring, I've never sold that before. And I don't sell the thing that you sell right now, and I don't sell to the people that you sell to. So if anyone feels like I'm speaking out of turn, do you feel comfortable holding me accountable to that? And I get everyone to agree to do that. 
Yeah. And that usually eases the, t- the tension where I'm not trying to come in and like tell you how to do your job. I've just figured out some of the other stuff around the soft skills of selling your thing and some frameworks that are pretty ubiquitous across whatever you sell that I think would really help you. And I've taken the time to understand your world as best as I can. So let's learn together kind of thing is I think the best approach usually. I think it's a good pro tip for leaders too, like new leaders that come into companies. When you try to, no one likes a know-it-all. And I think a lot of people in positions of authority, whether you're hired or in those leadership positions, try to just come in and really dictate how things are done. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't really work that well. We've all had parents do that to us <laughs> growing up. <laughs> oh man, mom, come on. Yeah. So you're you're talking about the soft skills of sales, right? And uh, as a <laughs> long decades and decades of experience of selling, <clears throat> no, <laughs> market at heart. Um, so what are, in your mind, what are the, the, the two top skills that any salesperson should have? Soft skills, that is. Yeah, soft skills. I, I can give, uh, we can keep it pretty general. I think one of them is the ability to like active listening is a skill. So hearing what someone says is different than being able to decipher what they might mean. Mm-hmm. And I think the active listening part comes with a genuine curiosity of uh so if I had to what's kind of going on at play here there's a really good book called You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy that's really good to pick up. The thing I always joke about is my wife actually, like she gave that book to me as homework to read. (laughs) I'm not shitting you. And uh, which the irony being me being a sales trainer, right? (laughs) Uh, So they talk about shift versus support. So it works like this. If uh, Maurice, if I asked you how your weekend went and you said, Hey, I went out to the pub or whatever. I did this. And I said, Oh yeah, you know, I went out too. And I did this and I like this. I'm immediately shifting the focus of the conversation onto me. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people do, including myself in our everyday conversations is we think about what other people say through our world and how it applies to us. Supporting is literally the opposite. That would be me leaning in and saying, oh, like you went to a public, what what kind of scene you're in? Was it really lively? Do you have to go to a place that's pretty chill? Do you drink ciders? Do you like Hefeweizens? Like, what do you like to drink? You know, like I'm leaning in and supporting. So that skill of active listening in really being able to practice sitting in the seat of the other person and just being genuine, genuinely curious about what they're sharing. That's probably skill number one that is like the biggest pattern interrupt. Most salespeople suck at that. And you just asking great questions and just listening is really, really big. The other thing that I would say as a skill is being able to act in spite of any kind of fear that you might have. So one of the things I learned, I'm a big proponent of therapy. One of the things I learned from my therapist, Sam, uh, it's called the CBT triangle. So it's cognitive behavioral therapy triangle. Essentially what this triangle shows you is the relationship between your behavior, your thoughts, and then your emotions. And specifically the impact on the things that you think about and the feelings that you have driving your behavior. So for example, if I feel really anxious because I'm a I'm told that I need to cold call some prospects. What that might drive in my thinking is, oh God, cold calling, that doesn't work. I'm going to be interrupting the person, et cetera. And that might control my behavior. Not calling, right? Procrastinating, feeling really anxious, whatever. 
I think what you have to be really good at in sales, and this is specifically applies to running a business as well, is you have to be willing to not let your thoughts and emotions drive your behavior. And I think that one of the big things that people tend to have in sales is called call reluctance, but reluctance to do hard stuff because they don't want to be pushy. It feels dirty, whatever it might be. So those are the kind of the two things that come off the top of my head is like active listening and then being able to take action and do things that are uncomfortable, like take risks, right? Your risk tolerance and taking risk is probably, probably that's the skill that I would call that. That's interesting. Um, so it's, it's, what do you, what would you say? Is it more about a risk tolerance um, to, to get started or is it more difficult to be, to have a tolerance of uh, frustration where, where people tell you no? Because, you know, depending on the product and the, depending on the sales model you have, you're going to hear no a lot, right? So, or is it, is it a combination of both? Do you have to kind of like be like a basketball shooter where you say, hey, Steph Curry, we call him the greatest shooter of all time, but even he only hits 40% of all shots, right? <laughs> yeah. So resilience would be a third skill that I would add then. Um, sales is a really funny job because, okay, so you said Steph Curry hits it 40% of the time. Every salesperson here would be going out of their mind if they closed 40% of the deals that they worked. If 40% of the time when they got a call with a prospect, it converted into a meeting, they would be absolutely thrilled with that. Sales is like, like imagine all of the interactions, think about all the interactions you've had today and think about if you got rejected in 95% of those interactions where the person just didn't want to talk to you for whatever reason. You want to go buy coffee at Starbucks, you go there and be like, no, we're not going to serve you. Um, you know, next, <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, like imagine if that happened, like 95% of your actions, that's what it's like eight to 10 hours a day for a salesperson. It's yeah. like 90% of people just don't want to interact with them. There's a lot of reasons for that, that we could impact, but I think resilience and it takes a lot of trust, like adherence and consistency are really big in sales. You have to like adhere to a system and hopefully that's a good system that works. And then you got to be really consistent with it and then have faith. So consistency and resilience are probably two other things that I would add to the list. The cool thing is that like, those are learnable skills, but yeah. I mean, you know, they say that people are the most scared in life of like public speaking. I bet, I bet you people are more afraid to cold call than they are to public speak. This has right. got to be the, one of the hardest skills in the world to do on a consistent basis. Cause you face rejection, like public speaking. Okay, cool. It doesn't go that well. And you don't get a good reaction. Well, when you cold call, you get a reaction every time, especially when you do it door to door in person, you get a reaction every single time. Yeah. At least in public speaking, I'm some distance from the audience and they, <laughs> they can't just like yell at me and hang up on me. There's that they, yeah. they'd be impolite, but yeah, cold and, calling. Absolutely. In public speaking, they've kind of agreed to be there. Yeah. That's the thing with cold calling that makes it so hard is people are, they didn't agree. They didn't agree to that interaction. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you catch them by surprise. Yeah, that's true. And, and also in, in all fairness, Cold calling, you have to do it probably every, what, 90 seconds, three minutes. You have to, if you're really after it, if you have, really have to work a list, you do it that often, right? Every three minutes, let's say. 
Um, yeah. Luckily, um, the public speaking, <laughs> you don't have to do it that often, right? It's it's maybe yeah. an, hour, an hour, an hour, if it's really tough, and then you kind of move on. But yeah, I, I like your approach there. I like the the uh, the context here, how you how you bring it together, the active listening and so on. Because I I see for myself and for my team, oftentimes they're just picking up is the is really hard and then especially if you have like this calling uh people hear a lot of no's and i say hey it's that's an opportunity for you right just try something out try something new try in a different angle and don't worry about it right there will be people yeah. saying no uh, let's say yes actually right it's uh, mm -hmm. it's absolutely normal right so um yeah especially if you have a younger team so how do you do you see a, a difference between training younger salespeople versus somewhat older salespeople? Definitely. Well, if we use younger and older, I would interchange those with uh, inexperienced and then very experienced. Mm -hmm. It has more to do with that. So if we take an SDR whose first job out of college, they're 22, 23 years old, that's a very different person that's much more malleable than someone that's been doing it for 20 years. So the younger folks, I think the biggest misconception about, so I will speak specifically to generation now. I think the biggest misconception about young salespeople is that they don't know how to use the phone because they didn't grow up with it. Mm -hmm. I think it's the biggest misconception ever. Oh yeah, they grew up in a FaceTiming generation and a texting generation and I am, so they never had to talk to people over the phone. Yeah, but they talk to people in everyday life. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> I think the biggest difference is that Gen Z, especially, dude, they're just willing to speak up uh, more when they're asked to do something that's really crazy. So if you as a sales leader, just give them a script that says, yeah, say these things, call these people, and you don't educate them on what do the people I'm talking to even care about? And oh, by the way, this script, it sounds really salesy. This is not how a human talks. If you don't give them good stuff, Gen Z is just a generation that's more likely to challenge authority. Yeah, And I think that every, the youngest generation is always the more likely generation to challenge authority. <laughs> That's just sort of how it works. So I would think that if you're having trouble, if you're listening to this, getting your younger team, whether it's salespeople or anything to do something, um, just think, am I taking the approach where I'm just trying to tell them what to do and just dictating it to them? Or do I get them bought into it and let them participate in the creation of the process, get mm -hmm. their feedback, involve them in it. So they feel like they're a part of something versus just being dictated something. Now, the more experienced salespeople, I think the tougher, the toughest part for them is, it's just like what I shared earlier around someone that's been cooking one way their entire life. And I'll, I'll give you an example, my dad, um, this is funny. So my wife and I were over at my parents' place and we were making hamburgers and my dad was putting French fries into the oven. Well, one of the things when you take frozen French fries or any kind of frozen food, if you crowd the pan and everything is touching each other, it won't get crispy mm -hmm. because the ice will melt and it'll it like it'll steam versus like really cook and sear it. Right. So my wife is like pointing out to my dad, hey, you know, the pan's kind of crowded. We should like take half of those and like split up the pans. And this was like a like he had never thought of it like that before. He's like 60. Right. So he's been cooking frozen French fries the same way for probably like 40 years, 50 years. So when you take a salesperson who's just been doing the same thing 
the same way for decades, that that's hard to unlearn those habits. Exactly. So the approach is very different with a, a very inexperienced person. I'm teaching foundational things like, Hey, the first time you do this, or let's try this with your process. When we cold call, let's break it down in this way with an experienced person. I'm saying, Hey, let's take one thing that you're doing right now consistently already. And you want it to be better. And let's just try to change that thing or stack onto that habit. So instead of trying to get you to do new stuff, let's take something you're doing right now and let's just tweak it to make it better. Mm -hmm. The thing that I want to get as quickly as possible is a win for a really experienced person because then they'll believe me. So how do I make it really easy to do these small tweaks that get really good results? It's the whole, it's the saying as small hinges move big doors. Like where's the biggest points of leverage where I can get a really quick ROI on their time? That's the focus with more experienced people usually. That's really good. As a as a sales person, I like the getting people involved and getting the, getting them to participate, because I think that is an absolute underappreciated statement that you that you that you make there, right? Um, today, especially in the I I, I feel like especially in the web two or in kind of the internet and then social media world, everybody has a voice and uses it, right? So if you just put something in front of them, they are so used to commenting what it is that you're seeing there. They yeah. don't even think about it anymore, right? So you have to make them and become active, active participants, as you said, right? So that yep. they cannot just leave their feedback and kind of lose interest, right? Yeah. You mentioned the word feedback, I think is so important. It's something I talk with sales leaders a lot about. If you think about it, your objective when you're leading a team of people is to create an environment where the sum is greater than the individual. Mm -hmm. You can't get that if people don't feel comfortable giving feedback and contributing to what you're doing. You don't get to benefit from the collective brain. So that's your objective. A really great strategy for doing that, and it's the, one of the most underrated things that I've seen, is to ask for feedback in public, and you're not going to get a lot of it, but actually take the feedback and put it into action. Most yeah. leaders that complain that I see that complain that their team is not open and coachable, I'm like, you're not coachable either, dude. <laughs> like people are giving you feedback and then you shoot it down in front of everyone. Yeah, I'm not going to give feedback in that environment either, dude. It doesn't feel... You know, it's emotional safety is what that's called. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that anytime you get feedback as a leader, acknowledge it. You don't have to agree with it, but you could say, hey, Russ, thank you so much for that feedback. What I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that you feel really kind of uncomfortable and salesy using the current script. It just doesn't feel very, very natural to you. And if you had something that felt like a little bit more you, you might be more inclined to use that. Did I hear you right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's great feedback. So team, um, how do you think that we could make this a little bit more conversational? Let's come up with something else that Russ can test together. That's great feedback, Russ. And I want to encourage all of you, if something feels uncomfortable, let us know. Don't you wish you heard that more in this, in the companies that you work in where the leaders and the executives, especially talked more like that, you'd be like, wow. So I think that, um, Similar to parenting, I would imagine, I don't have kids yet, but a lot of the behavior I learned as an adult and as a kid is modeled off of my parents. It's not what they told me to do. It's what they did. So as a sales leader or any kind of leader, 
You just need to demonstrate what good looks like and actually live the advice that you're giving. And it's such a simple principle. (laughs) It requires a lot of work and discipline. But I I love that you brought up Marie's feedback because that's such an important thing. Like having a culture where people can provide feedback is so important. Yeah. But sometimes what what I see, um, I, I like your approach there. But what I see sometimes is that people look at you, especially if they're younger, they're like, really? You want my feedback? I'm new at this. I've been doing this all about five minutes, right? Why would you have, want my feedback? And then what I tell them is, look, I hired you because you're smart. I hired you for all your perspectives. So please bring it in because otherwise you're robbing the team of your insights, of your perspective and of all of this. And then people look at you like, what? And then if the rest of the team is not actually chiming in, like, oh yeah, he's serious about that. And then, you know, then you you kind of see that develop. Is and here, here's the question, question coming out of that. How do you make it more secure for people that they actually buy in? That they believe what you're saying. I mean, you you kind of described it in some way, but let's elaborate wow. on that further. Yeah, I think buy-in is there's a couple of components to buy-in because that's really anytime we're trying to you know to use like some lingo here, transformation. Right, <laughs> you're throwing around <laughs> a lot. Transformation is a really fancy way of saying we're trying to get people to do something that's really freaking hard. And um, we're going to get a lot of resistance with that. But this is going to be a really important thing we think that will move the company forward, right? Buy-in is a really big part of that. So buy-in requires a couple of things. One, you have to be good at selling the idea and the reason why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And what I think about a lot is there's a uh, a framework called Format. It's the number four and then MAT. I think it might've been invented in Australia for higher education, but it's what they use to create curriculum. So anytime we're explaining a concept, we need to talk about why it's important, the bullet points of what you need to do, and then give some really tangible how. It's what we've been doing a lot of in this call, actually. So a lot of times, if we use my world as an example, a sales leader might come in and say, we're going to start using Medic. It's a qualification framework. Okay, guys. Um, So what you're going to need to start asking for in your deals is what metrics are there involved? We're going to need to get really good at economic buyers and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, but why? Why are we going to do this thing? Why are we doing it differently than we were doing before? So I think having a really strong why and being able to tell, and there's lots of ways that you can do that. One is through stories. One is by uh, having people on the team speak up about why they think doing this thing is important. There's all kinds of things you can do. So the why and being able to sell the vision, super important for buy-in. The second piece is collaboration. We've already talked about this. So whatever you're going to do, have people create, uh, participate in the creation of it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did with your team, Russ, when I worked with you guys is we mm-hmm. created a messaging matrix. And you know yep. what we did as a team? We plotted out as a team together what our prospects care about. So everyone got to participate in the creation of the stuff that we were doing. So collaboration is really big. Um, the next thing is what I call rubbing shoulders is how I was taught. And it was getting in the pit. So if I want as a sales manager, my team to cold call, you know what I better be good at? I better be good at cold calling. I'm not going to spend all day doing it, but I better be able to show them how it gets done. Yeah. Right. So get in the pit, show them how it gets done. And then the last part is reinforcement. 
So we can't just talk about something one time and and roll it out. Like there has to be ongoing reinforcement of that thing. Mm-hmm. And it has to get brought up. It has to get measured. There has to be accountability. There's got to be all that kind of stuff. So really good at selling the vision. We need to collaborate and participate. We need to get in the pit and do it together with people. And then we need to reinforce it. The people that are leading the people doing this need to be really good at coaching and reinforcing and holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Hey, Jason, um, let us shift for a second. I, I I find for all the few minutes that, that I'm on here, um, I find it amazing your approach, but where's this coming from? How did you get started? And more importantly, how do you stay on top of the newest development? How do you make sure that everything that you know, that you are progressing, that you are sharpening your skills and that you are remaining kind of like a step ahead of everybody that you're teaching? How, how do you go about this? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that my rule is that I never teach something to someone else that I either am not proficient at myself or that my other clients have put into action and gotten results from it. What's really easy to do in my profession as a consultant, coach, or trainer is to say things that sound really nice in theory. There's a lot of New York Times bestselling books that are full of fluffy theory that sound really good and that are not actually applicable. <laughs> so that's a that's a thing for me that I'm really big on. So it's got to work in order for me to teach it. In terms of, I mean, I think you learn things a lot of ways. I mean, for me, what I force myself to do is stay really grounded with what the day-to-day looks like for the clients that I help. So I'm not a sales development rep anymore that's making cold calls for four or five hours a day, but I spend a lot of time with these people. Yeah. And I make calls myself still, you know, so I, I am still grounded in what they do. And if you want to get really something very tangible, I think that's a slippery slope is when you, when you get really used to teaching stuff in a group setting where there's no feedback loop, you never get to see how things are applied. Mm -hmm. So I'm working with a team of SDRs right now. It's about 35 SDRs and we're talking cold calling mostly is where we're at right now. So it's like, I teach something, I put them into breakout rooms and then I listen to them practice. And then I listen to them like recordings of them doing the thing that we're talking about. And then I'm able to see how things are applied. And like my goal in the goal in teaching is to like shorten and narrow the gap of the time it was taught to the time it's successfully implemented. That's like the thing I'm trying to compress as much as possible. Right. Yeah. So that's one way I think is staying really, really close and grounded with like how they're using the stuff that I'm teaching. And then the other thing is, I don't know, this is mostly just, I'm an optimizer. This is what me and my wife both have in common. We have a growth mindset and a big part of what we really care about is just optimizing stuff and making it better. And I think the challenge for someone that's an optimizer like myself is choosing what to optimize because, and I've gotten much better at that. You can't optimize everything in life. There's not enough time for that and you'll drive yourself crazy, right? (laughs) So I'm like, where's the ROI high? Well, The stuff that I optimize in my relationship, the ROI is very high because I'm going to be happier. (laughs) Like it's hard to put a price tag on that, right? In the stuff in business, 
I'm always thinking, like I literally have notes open on my other screen here of I was doing a training earlier on cold email and I was like, oh man, people were asking a lot of questions about this one topic, this part of cold email that I didn't teach about. I have to incorporate that the next time I teach it. So I think looking at things like an iteration where I'm never going to create something and then have it be really great, I need to accept the fact that something can always be better, but that's a process and that can happen over time. That's my mindset around it is how do I make this better the next time that I do it? Okay. I think that, I think that optimization mindset is, is such a killer, right? It's because yeah. people think, people think about a lot about, well, I, ah, crap, I didn't do that right. I failed, but mm -hmm. you didn't, if you can make it a little better next time, a little better next time and a little better next time. And then boy, you look back a year later and it's like, wow, right. No, totally. That's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like, I wish you could see Russ, the stuff that I, <laughs> how I teach stuff now compared to two years ago with your team. It's just like 10 times better in my opinion. It's because of that constant optimization. It's, it's like uh, investing, putting money into the bank every yeah. month, you know, and, and letting the compound interest of your optimizing, you know, stack up, you know, so to speak. Yeah. I, I think, I think too often in business, we're, we're trying to find the next Bitcoin and and not doing the well, I'm just going to put away yeah. ten bucks every week, and soon yep. enough, look, I'm gonna have a million bucks, right? It's, and sometimes that just that iteration, you know, rather than the moonshot or the home run shot, the iteration pays off better in the long run. Right? Totally, yeah. Don't look for the diet pill because that's really <laughs> what Bitcoin is. Just just call, like you're gambling. Yeah, you, you might be lucky and it's fun to do, and I have no judgment towards those people, but yep. it's like you're looking for the quick win when most good things in life in my experience and a lot of other people's experience doesn't come super quickly. I mean, look at the stuff you're doing with your church, Russ, like all the stuff mm -hmm. you're learning. It's like, dude, that takes a lot of time to learn all of that stuff. You don't just like go to a class one day and you're like, you know, totally ready to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think being able to have some self-compassion is really big. That's something I'm really big on where it's like, don't be too hard on yourself. And accept that this is a this is a journey and celebrate the stuff that you have control over. Because I think yeah. we tend to give ourselves a really hard time around stuff that we don't have a lot of control over. And we tend to celebrate stuff that we didn't really have control over either. So stop <laughs> celebrating so much the stuff that was like outside of what you had control over and celebrate more of like the effort and the process and the optimization and the patience you have with yourself and that sort of thing. Put your self-esteem in that stuff. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. 10,000 hours, right? It takes 10,000 hours to master it. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people want to get it done in 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not how it works, unfortunately. I mean, it, it may be, but it, it usually doesn't. I haven't seen it done, anyways. So um, yep. that's interesting. So, what's next for you? Where, where do you go from here? Yeah, I think what I'm really focused on right now is really building out. We want to be a one-stop shop for B2B sales professionals. Mm -hmm. So I focused primarily when Russ and I first met on outbound. So how to get that first meeting. And what we focus on a lot now is how to run a good call, how to you know deliver a good demo, how to multi-thread, how to negotiate, that sort of stuff. So I'm really trying to level up all of that content. I want to be the go-to place for sales reps and leaders to learn those foundational skills because that's what people need help with right now. Mm -hmm. They need basic 100, 200, and a little bit of 300 level stuff. Yeah. Do the basics. 
that's what I'm trying to help people with. I care a lot about helping salespeople have those aha moments. And I care a lot about helping them make more money too, because sales is a profession where if you do really well at it, like screw this in America stuff, like work for the government for 20 years and then retire and get a pension. Dude, if you have a really good sales career for 20 years, like you can retire. No problem, dude. If you're good with your money. So that's, that's what I want help people to capitalize like on that opportunity, the financial opportunity, the financial freedom that you can create for yourself. If, if you're good at this, this, uh, this, this line of work. Yeah. If you could just sidestep for without any limits or boundaries, what is it that you would do tomorrow? I wouldn't get into a different business than I'm in right now. Um, what I would think about is how I'm growing it. Like typically, so I would answer this this question the same way if it was, you're given $20 million right now, what do you do with it? To me, that just helps get to the goal faster. People, that's what I would invest in. So I would have more talented people on my team. Yeah, fantastic. So I wouldn't necessarily be doing anything different. I don't think. Yeah. So is the, is the vision to grow your company or in terms of volume that you do or is the vision or also is the vision to do it maybe internationally? Yeah, I mean, I I work with international clients now. Um, I think that the thing for me, my North Star in life is like, I want to be able to retire in 10 or 15 years if I want to. Yeah. So we live off of, off of about 20% of what we make right now. So we save very aggressively and invest very aggressively. And my goal would be, hey, when I have a kid that's in middle school right now, I'm working totally 100% because I want to. That would be my goal is to completely have no financial obligations or stress at all would be my goal. That's the big kind of North Star. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to retire at 50. I really got to hurry up here. <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyways, hey Jason, it was an absolute pleasure. I have yeah. one more question. Uh, we usually ask if you were to meet your 16-year-old self, what is the advice you would give him? Yeah, love this question. So I would say that the I'm really big on regret minimization. It's a framework that Jeff Bezos talks about a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard of it, it's essentially this thinking about how to limit future regret for yourself. Mm -hmm. So at 16, what I would say is one of the things that you're probably going to regret not doing more of is being way more social. Cause I mentioned, I was very shy at the beginning of this being more social, making more friends and just having more fun and not being so serious about stuff. That's what advice I would give myself. Uh, and it would be like, dude, things are going to work out for you, man. Like you're going to, you're going to find a wife that you're very happy to be with. You're going to have a job that you really love. You're going to be able to meet your financial goals and all that kind of stuff. So like, just don't worry so much about that. Keep working hard. Like you're doing things will work out while you're doing it. This like social skill, like you need to, like, if you develop that earlier in life, it's going to serve you. It's going to yeah. really serve you. So that's what, that's one thing I wish I would have developed sooner in life. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. That is Thank you so much. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you. It was an absolute inspiring um, to to listen to you. And uh, 
Uh, I'm gonna try to apply some of it um, uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <or at least. laughs> Definitely gonna have to play this back and listen. That's a that's a whole bunch of great stuff. There. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank thanks, you, guys. I gotta get to a meeting, so it's good. It's good talking to you, Russ, again, and uh, Maurice. Is nice meeting you. Yep. One bald guy to another bald guy. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, guys, take it easy. Right. You take care. Later.